We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What if we find that Burhalter's system works better with lesser known, lower profile, or perceived inferior talent? Would you consider a U.S. men's national team coach in 2019 to be derelict in their duties if they determined that the team was better without starting players, say, like a Pulisic or an Adams or a McKenney or a Brooks or a Yedlin. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking the U.S. men's national team under Burhalter and the system that he is starting to implement. We will have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. Mossy is going to talk about Messi and Ronaldo relative to their national teams. We'll also be answering your questions in our hashtag Ask Alexi segment, where we'll be talking about our favorite sports movies and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you this week, Mossy? I am good. Uh, are you familiar with the television program America's Funniest Home Videos? Yes, I am familiar. It's a, you know, it was a staple growing up in the um, 80s and 90s, I suppose. Uh, my favorite clip ever from that show, my dad and I still joke about it to this day, it was about 20 years ago back when Bob Saget was hosting. Sure. Uh, it was a wedding in Spain, and there was a guy sitting in a church, and he had an earpiece listening to a soccer game. And right as the bride was walking down the aisle, the church was <laughs> packed, and amidst this sea of people, you see this one guy jump up and go, go! Yep. Yep. And I bring that up because uh, the Michigan Wolverines have advanced to the uh, Sweet 16, this is the um, basketball tournament, right? Correct. Okay, got uh, it. Yep. Now, we play a tough game, Texas Tech on Thursday. We could lose that, and then it's a well, moot point. Well, everybody knows that Tech is difficult. Right, but if we advance there, then we would play the Elite Eight on Saturday. I have a wedding on Saturday. There's a very good possibility <gasps> the game would, would be occurring at the same time as the wedding. So What are you going to do? Tough. Well, so. nowadays, you can, you can kind of have your phone down yeah. in front of the pew. Um, remember, God's watching. So you can, well, you could stream it or at the very least follow, you know, follow the Twitter feed as it's going along. So how close are you to these people? It's uh, one of my best college friends. It's actually, it's a tough one because uh, last season we played the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight at the Staples Center and I went. It was a lot of fun. This season, uh, these games are in Anaheim, so I would have loved to have gone as well. And actually, our former colleague Jason Wormser reached out to me this week 
asking if I wanted to go with him. Uh, no so, can do. No can do. Uh, yeah. But I am very excited for this wedding as well. It's uh, it's in Mexico, San Miguel Allende, girl. which I've heard is is a beautiful city. It's it's one of my best college buddies who's getting married, and it's in Mexico. I'm excited about it, but missing the Michigan game. That that's uh, uh, all right. Uh, what what are the chances of this union? Uh, what what do you give it? You know, zero to one hundred. Hundred percent, they're going to be married for the next sixty years. I actually have not met this young lady, so I will make this right, call well, after you after you uh, figure after, it out. Yeah, we'll discuss it next week. I, I was on the road, and uh, I was excited next last Friday because you know we talk about uh, documentaries. This is not this is more of a biopic, but the Dirt, the Motley Crue uh, documentary, came out on Netflix. You, have you seen this yet? I have not. Will you watch this? Do you care? You don't care. You don't no. care. I, I happen to care because I lived through the 80s, and so it's near and dear to me. But in this day and age where everything's being compared to Bohemian Rhapsody and A Star is Born, something like that, it <laughs> it does not quite reach that level. It is uh, a very television-esque, cartoonish type of caricature based on the incredible book about Motley Crue and uh, an 80s band, for those that don't know out there. I thought it was, the, the film was poorly done. It wanted to be a lot of different things to a lot of people. People. It was cartoonish, as I said. I think it, it was cringeworthy at times. There was sentimentality or attempted sentimentality that didn't work. There was a cool hipster type of talking directly to the camera BS that didn't that didn't work. So basically, none of it really worked. And also, it highlighted the fact that this band and these individuals, there was really nothing redeemable about them. Which I guess is the 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 point uh, of this band and of this book, and obviously of. Uh, of this movie, but I was I was underwhelmed. Doesn't mean that I that I didn't watch it immediately when it came out, or that I won't watch it again right now. But um, for those of you that are uh, thinking about watching the dirt out there on Netflix, there's better uses of your time going forward. And if, certainly, if you are a diehard crew fan or of that genre, you're not going to learn anything that you didn't uh, that you didn't already know. But you should check it out anyway. I'd be interested to see you who doesn't have that background of the '80s and certainly of the uh, the metal scene that I do. How you uh, would would see something like that. This is Tommy Lee, right? That would be Tommy Lee, the drummer of right. Motley Crue. Yeah, yep. although I was not a Motley Crue fan, there is a film Tommy Lee starred in once that I quite uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go look it up. It'll be good. All right, Mossy, enough of this. Uh, ready to light this candle? Yep. All right, as you know, each and every week, we kick the pot off with... Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week... It goes a little something like this. This week, the Greg Berhalter-era U.S. men's national team fired up again. And for the first time, the European-based players were integrated into the team. Guys like Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, John Brooks, and DeAndre Yedlin. So far, Berhalter has been refreshingly clear and public about his style and his system. Things like a commitment to playing out of the back, hybrid positions, shifting attacking and defensive formations, and the injection of young talent. Even if you don't agree with it, you still have to respect that Berhalter has articulated what he wants and he's trying to implement it. And I'd rather have a flawed plan than no plan at all. But now comes the interesting part. What if we find that Berhalter's system works better with lesser known, lower profile, or perceived inferior talent? For example, what if someone like Nick Lima from the San Jose Earthquakes, certainly not a household name, is better at playing right back for the U.S. men's national team in a Burhalter system than, say, a Tyler Adams or a DeAndre Yedlin, who are both playing at the Bundesliga and EPL levels, respectively? As we know, a national team is not the best players. It's the best collection of players. 
Now, it's easy to say that it doesn't matter who you are, where you play, how much money you make, or how popular you are. But for a U.S. men's national team coach in 2019, it would take some courage to play lesser-known domestic talent over popular talent playing overseas. Public perception is that players playing abroad are better, and it's often the reality. But would you consider a U.S. men's national team coach in 2019 to be derelict in their duties if they determined that the team was better without starting players, say, like a Pulisic or an Adams or a McKenney or a Brooks or a Yedlin? Many feel that the U.S. doesn't have that luxury to turn away recognized talent. But in order to have a true system, you have to be willing to do just that. All right, Mossy, there is my uh, State of the Union. When we're talking about national teams, and it could apply to this national team or any national team for that matter, our coaches, would they be allowed to, in 2019, and in particular Greg Berhalter, be allowed to play the players that they feel best fits with their system as opposed to the higher profile, uh, player, uh, profile players? And you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm of two minds on this. Uh, you're right. The mistake some people make is you take two players, and just because one outperforms the other at club level, they assume he should be playing above them in the national team, and that's not necessarily the case. There are other variables at play. The other guy could perform better for the national team. He could fit the national team system better. He could mesh better with the players around them. But I do worry that national team coaches sometimes draw those conclusions from very small samples. And I think in the absence of a larger sample, you have to default to the knowingly better players and try to get the best out of them. The best case scenario for the U.S. in the coming years is for Greg Berhalter to be able to get the best out of Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, etc. But you can conceive of a national team that does not have Christian Pulisic starting and that, at least from Greg Berhalter's perspective, which ultimately is the only thing that matters, that that is his best version of the national team? Or does that just blow your mind? Because there's people out there listening right now that say, if Greg Berhalter does not find a way to work someone like Christian Pulisic into the national team, then he's derelict in his duties and he doesn't know what he's doing. It would have to be like really overwhelming evidence, like a lot of games where Pulisic underperformed and somebody else came into that spot and the team clearly performed better with the other guy. I think you could reach a point where you could draw that conclusion, but I guess my point is let's not draw that conclusion based on a game here and there uh, because, I, like I said, in the absence of a large enough sample, you do have to default to the knowingly better player. Okay, so, but fine. We saw Christian Pulisic against Ecuador play in a central role. We saw at times him get overwhelmed. And then we saw him at times pull out wide and kind of do the Christian Pulisic stuff that we, that we at least that I know and love. And that is beating players one-on-one with his quickness, with his guile, uh, with his sheer talent that he has. If Greg Berhalter continues to say, you know what, it's just not, it, 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 I like him in the middle, it's not working in the middle, and he continues to struggle in the middle, and then they put him out wide, and it's a question of, I don't know, Paul Ariola is killing it out wide, and there's not a position for Christian Pulisic, is that, once again, is that okay? Because I know it scares the living you know what, out of American soccer, out of the American soccer community to have talent that either is unrealized or talent that we, that we bypass right now. And look, I'm not saying right now that any of this is going to happen. My point is that in this day and age where coaches and, and, and fans and everybody talks so much about system of play and philosophy and, and all this kind of stuff, if you're not a true believer in your system, then it really isn't a system. And if you're just saying, well, this guy just got transferred for $70 million, so I got to find a way. To, uh, he must be good enough and he must be better than everything that I have right now. No, yeah, I see your point. Now, I will say 
you're right. There sometimes is a bias towards the guys that play for these big name European clubs, but you also have to be careful that there's not a bias the other way. Yep, absolutely. That it, you you become partial to your domestic base players because you want to see your domestic league represented, and you kind of throw common sense out the window. Club form in and of itself should not dictate who plays for the national team, but to the extent that it is a factor, if Christian Pulisic is killing it for Chelsea next season in the Premier League week in and week out against the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City, that does carry more weight than what somebody does in MLS. And I'm not a snob for saying that. That's just reality. And it's a simple point to me, but you'd be amazed in countries like Brazil and Argentina how much people try to fight you on that. They're they're fiercely proud of their domestic why, why league. Is it, so why is it so so cut and dry for you? Because I think you, you have to understand that one is a higher level of competition than the other. So if you were just, again, that in and of itself wouldn't be a reason to put Pulisic above okay, somebody it, else. There's other factors. That in, but yeah, but in, in that equation, you, I think you have to look at that and, and and sometimes in countries like Brazil and Argentina people try to fight you on that and, and it, it drives me nuts I mean there's a disturbing amount of Argentinian fans right now that are okay with the fact that Dario Benedetto is starting games up front and Kun Aguero can't get in the squad which is nuts to me but that's what they're doing and you don't want a similar thing to happen with the US that you sort of become a little bit too biased towards the MLS but it, guys so but isn't a, it ultimately on the field that matters I yeah, mean, I mean it, either it, you do the job or you don't do the job and whatever your pedigree yes we understand that it's that, that your your CV and your pedigree and your history and where you're playing and your popularity is going to play into it, but ultimately you're getting on the field. And if and, and this is like this is absolutely not a dump on Christian Pulisic or, any, or anything like uh, like that. I think guys like Christian Pulisic, guys like Weston McKinney, t- guys like Tyler Adams absolutely can be involved in the future. They can be involved. Is it mandatory that they be involved? Absolutely not. So when they're going forward, these guys are going to have to earn their place just like anybody else. The other part of it is, and the other side works too. So if Christian Pulisic, because you mentioned if he goes to Chelsea and he's killing it and all that stuff. If Christian Pulisic goes to Chelsea and he's not killing it, it also doesn't mean that he can't be incredibly effective from a national team perspective, what it's in the center or, or anything like that. So once again, form is fallacy. I've said that for <laughs> I've said that for years. You know that. Put it on a t-shirt, hashtag it, sell it, do whatever you want, bumper sticker it, do all that kind of stuff. But it it is true. But uh, to your point, and I absolutely agree, if you're the coach and you're assessing, it's not one thing that you're assessing. It's multiple things. And one of them is and has to be everybody can't be wrong. This guy playing at what we all understand and, and would admit is a high level. Everybody can't have gotten it wrong. And this guy just, you know, uh, zelliged his way into, into playing uh, at Chelsea. And we're using Christian, but it could be anybody. Everybody can't be wrong that Tyler Adams isn't a good player for what he has done domestically, the move that he has made, the impact that he has made, and then all of a sudden he's wrong as a soccer player. But just as a soccer player, you can be a very good soccer player. Hell, you can be a great soccer player, and it doesn't mean that you are a great soccer player for your national team. And I also think the overall success of the team matters in, in terms of giving Burhalter this sort of credibility to be able to make a big call like that and dropping a Christian Pulisic. Right now, Burhalter is in kind of a honeymoon phase because the U.S. has had some managers that were perceived as being tactically limited and Jurgen Klinsmann and Bruce Arena, and in steps Burhalter, who's a tactics wonk and is clearly up on the latest trends and has all these interesting, innovative ideas, and that's exciting for the fan base and so you know they, they, they're going to give him the benefit of doubt early on and see him, how things are going to play out and, and him implementing his ideas and we'll see how the next couple of years go if he's doing well overall and the team's getting good results and people like the way the team's playing then if he wants to drop a Christian Pulisic he sort of has the credibility to do that but if, if things aren't going well overall and he's making mistakes in other spots and it's going to be like well I don't know if I trust you to make a big call like that of leaving out you a think Christian people Pulisic. are going to give him the benefit of the doubt 
I, in the short term, I think he's why? off. I think he's off to a good start because, like I said, I think. Well, he's off to a good start. Then that's not the benefit of the doubt. That's relying on on, on results. He's got. No, no, he's but, had three but, games. But, he's won all three. But but not so much in terms of results. In terms of the things he's saying, people think he's coming across as a smart, thoughtful guy with good ideas. So if he stumbles results wise, you can look at it and say, well, I think he has the right idea. It just hasn't come together yet, and that's better than a guy who you don't think has the right ideas. Period. So I think guys that come in and, and you look at them, you think, oh, he's he's got some interesting tactical plans here. Those guys, you're going to be a little bit more patient with and see let things play out versus a guy that you just sort of think his whole approach is wrong in general. But but the other part is is and I mentioned it in the State of the Union is the courage that it takes for a coach to to go against what the the perception is of the masses. So who were you mentioning on Argentina the other day? Benedetto. So Benedetto. I mean, ultimately, and once again, it comes down to results. If he performs on the field, that's great because if Greg Berhalter said, I don't know, um, I mentioned in my State of the Union, Nick Lehm or something like that. We, we saw a very small sample size. I, I get all that. But all of a sudden, if, if, if he says, you know what, I'm not going to play Tyrell Adams there. I'm not going to play DeAndre Edlin there. I'm going to play Nick Lehm. Or if he says, you know, he just picks some obscure player. I'm not going to play Christian Pulisic in the middle. I'm going to play somebody else. You're, you're setting yourself up because if it doesn't work, there is always that excuse. Is that fair? No, but it's the reality of the situation because if you have somebody that is perceived as a better player waiting in the wings or sitting on the bench or not even there, then immediately you're going to get, get called in. It might have been the right call all along, but you are going to come in for more criticism than if you dance with the ones that brung you, that you dance with the ones that everybody collectively recognizes are talented or perceives are more talented for whatever reason, because they're playing at a high level, a perceived higher level, because they're making more money, because they're famous, whatever it ends up being, then if you go you know, off the range and say, no, no, we're going to go with this. So it's, it's literally, you're either, you're either going to go all in and bet it all and risk, or you're going to say, well, I'm going to take the easy way or the, the safe way and play the players that everybody recognizes are good. Now, Len, on this, uh, we're taping this on Monday morning, yeah. and, and frankly, this disclaimer applies for the whole podcast because there's going to be international games in the right. next uh, day or two that by the time you listen to this might have already occurred. Uh, so all we can talk about at this point is the Ecuador game. The U.S. won 1-0. What did you make of that performance? Ecuador did not. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's down on Ecuador because of the way that they played or the way they didn't play, but you know, keep in mind that there's going to be times where that's going to happen to the U.S. A team is going to come in. Now, the problem with Ecuador is not only were they were they inadequate when it came to even possessing the ball or going forward, they just wanted to defend, but they also didn't have anything lethal to strike in that transition. And so Greg Berhalter's teams are going to have to find a way to create opportunities. And I think that's where, for that game, and gosh, these are just, these are, you know, these are throwaway games to a certain extent, except you can see the foundation of what Greg Berhalter's trying to do. I think it was concerning that we didn't create more chances, but that I think is something that Greg Berhalter will say that will come with time. But the fact that they were solid defensively, you know, the whole big thing about the experiment with Tyler Adams playing right back, and we've seen now how he wants, uh, he, I mean, Greg Berhalter wants the right back, whether whoever it is, to be able to be in this hybrid type of situation where from a defensive standpoint, they're covering that space and yet it morphs into a three, more of a three in the back uh, when they're going forward. Now this, this is to be determined. We're going to see how it goes going forward. Obviously the uh, game, uh, we're talking about it before it happens uh, against uh, Chile right? Uh, for, the, for the U.S. So we're going to we're gonna see, and I think there's going to be a lot of changes right now. I think it's difficult to read anything 
too much into, but it's all we have. And so that's that's what we're going to do. And by the way, U.S. confirmed that Weston McKinney will be out uh, several weeks, yes. which is bad news for Shaka because it means they're shorthanded at like eight different positions. <laughs> Oh, Weston McKinney, a versatile athlete uh, and a versatile player that uh, that any any team would love to have. I'll be interested to see if actually if he continues on, but hopefully he gets better uh, from a physical standpoint. Um, you know, he said he's out for a few weeks uh, and hurt himself with the national team, which is uh, not good news. But he's a he's a strong young man. He'll figure it out. Anything else, Mossy, about uh, about this before we go on? Nope. All right. So Mossy doesn't care who you played. Mossy doesn't care how sexy a name you are, how much money you're making, who you're dating, uh, what what uh, what level you play at. He just wants the best eleven players playing. Right? Is that what we got out of Correct. this? Correct. Yeah. I don't know about that. All right. Moving on. Hello, people. It's Alexi here. More of the State of the Union podcast on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from Major League Soccer, the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free, and you can cancel at any time. So check out FoxSoccerMatchPass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now, back to the show. Mossy makes the case. Okay, it's that time again. Mossy makes the case. What are you casing for this week, David? My case is that the clock is ticking on the international careers of the game's two greatest players. This past Friday, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi made their long-awaited returns to their respective national teams. It had been 265 days since they were both eliminated from the World Cup. June 30th, 2018, Argentina lost to France in the round of 16, while Portugal fell to Uruguay. Neither Messi or Ronaldo scored that day, and neither one scored this past Friday. Portugal were held to a nil-nil draw by Ukraine in a Euro 2020 qualifier, while Argentina suffered a 3-1 friendly defeat to Venezuela. Now, at club level, neither one of these two shows any signs of slowing down. There's no reason for them to even be contemplating retirement as they continue to enhance their legends each season. But at the international level, it's going to be interesting to see when they choose to walk away. Ronaldo at least seems to enjoy playing for Portugal, but he's already won a Euro, and by the time the next World Cup rolls around, he'll be approaching his 38th birthday, so it's fair to wonder how much longer he wants to put his body through the physical toll of playing for club and country. Uh, Messi will be 35 at the next World Cup, and I'm convinced he genuinely hates playing for Argentina. <laughs> he thinks the Federation is a joke. He's already walked away once, and if he had his druthers, he would have retired after this last World Cup. But... He also realizes it would be incredibly awkward to walk away from Argentina while still playing at a high level for Barcelona, so he's somewhat trapped. I do think the fact that both guys chose to take a sabbatical after this last World Cup shows that from this point forward, international football is going to be on their own terms, and they are going to look to lighten the load. Now, how far a leap is it from that to walking away altogether? I don't know, but if you're somebody that enjoys watching these two represent their countries, I would savor every opportunity from this point forward because I don't think there's going to be that many more. Okay, first question. 2022, are they involved? I think they're One both. One or both, or not? If I was a betting man, I'd say they're both involved, but let me say this. I think Ronaldo gets to make the decision on his own terms, and if he's playing, it's because, you know, hey, you know, why, why not play another World Cup? Messi, I do think, you know, is, is, is like I said, there, there's sort of this, this situation where I think in, in his heart of hearts, he wants to walk away. But he knows, imagine a scenario in which Argentina are struggling to qualify for the World Cup while he's bagging hat tricks for Barcelona every week and sitting out those qualifiers. He would be absolutely crucified. So I think in his case, if he plays, it's more because he feels a certain pressure to do so. Well, imagine a scenario if he doesn't play and they win the World Cup. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, R- Ronaldo, I think if he chose to walk away tomorrow, yeah, it, it is weird optics if he's still playing great at club level and his national team is struggling and he's not there. But I think if he chose to walk away tomorrow, nobody in Portugal would begrudge him that much. He's 34 years old. He's played 155 times for his country, four World Cups. I think he's allowed to walk away and it's less of an issue. Messi, I think, would be crucified Do you think it's so. diminishing returns in terms of the legacy in that do you, is there a part of you that wants them to say, that's it, we've, we've, we've had enough from an international perspective? Yeah, I mean, with Messi, it's it's certainly starting to feel that way. You know, it's funny because Ronaldo not winning a World Cup has never been an issue for right. him because Portugal don't have that pedigree. Exactly. There's no expectation he's going to win it. So anything he does in a World Cup is a bonus. I mean, case in point, in 2014, they crashed out in the group stage. He didn't play that well, and he still won the Ballon d'Or that year. In conversations about his legacy, his place in, among the all-time greats, nobody ever brings up, but he's never won a World Cup. So, you know, he could go there uh, just because he wants to play another World Cup, but it's a it's kind of a stress-free endeavor for him to go play in a World Cup. For Messi, as we saw last year, playing in a World Cup is an incredibly stressful ordeal for him so if he's going to be 35 he doesn't think he's going to play that well he doesn't think the team's going to do that well I think there is a part of him that would think boy do I really want to put myself <laughs> through that whole thing again I oh, mean it's poor Messi he'll be okay <laughs> he has to play in a world cup and represent his country under pressure so but do you do you want them to do you want to see them play in a world cup yeah, I mean, the, the, so you're, I, okay. as a soccer fan. No, because so there's some people say, no, I don't want that. It's done. It's great now. They're going to go down as two of the greatest players ever, and let's let's move on. Let me let me ask you this. You're somebody that really believes in international football and the privilege yes. of playing for your country. Would it offend you if they started picking their games, sitting out a lot of friendlies, even some qualifiers? Now, Messi can't really afford to do that because common ball qualifying is nuts. Even Venezuela is going to be good in this cycle. But in Europe, depending on the group you land in, you know, case in point for this Euro 2020 qualifying, Portugal's in a group with Lithuania and Luxembourg. They don't need Ronaldo to win those games. So if he started picking and choosing games, hey, call me when you really need me, but otherwise I'm going to sit out. Is that Would that be weird yeah, to you? Yeah, I mean, because once again, I but I look at it from a, a very different perspective maybe. And that's not it's not a judgment on on them in terms of how 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 close they feel and, and the the responsibility and the privilege that they that they feel for their national team it's just and and you know maybe it's very different for, from from an american perspective if greg berhalter called me today right now i would stop this podcast and i'm off to i'm off to lax because it's representing your country and there's no there's no more and in any capacity now to see a messi on the bench coming off in a substitutes role or a although Dybala might like that <laughs> Or to see a Cristiano Ronaldo, who I don't even sure would accept it, uh, (laughs) that kind of thing. That would be a little weird, maybe a little disconcerting uh, right now. But I I don't, you know, know, we talked about the State of the Union about the potential of high-profile players not being on the field and therefore, and with their absence, actually making them better. I'm not sure that you can make that argument yet about Argentina, that they are better in a World Cup uh, run without a 2000, well, it would be a 22 version of, of, of Messi. But that argument's coming. Yeah, I was just saying, the if one it's issue, so much pressure. Why? Why is he doing it? I the mean, one issue, the one issue with Ronaldo picking and choosing his games is, I think a big reason why he's still playing is he likes breaking records and reaching milestones. He's got 85 international goals. He'd love to get to 100. And if, if you go through it, I mean, I know it's hard to poke holes in Ronaldo's career, but a disproportionate amount of those goals have come against the San Marinos and Andorras and qualifying how campaigns. Dare you he does like to pat his stats against those countries, so he, he would relish those opportunities moving forward as well. Yeah, that that hat trick against Spain last summer is really the first moment he's had 
against like another big time soccer nation internationally. But so that would be the one argument against him picking and choosing his games and sitting out against the Luxembourgs and Lithuanians. But no, I mean, it's... Well, let me, let me ask you this, because the conventional wisdom over the years has been the way that Cristiano plays and who he is as a, from, a, from a physical standpoint, that that's going to break down first. Who do you think ultimately breaks down? It might not be a physical breakdown. It might be a mental breakdown when it comes to either, either of them for whatever you know, reason and stuff like that. But because we've seen now Cristiano go to Italy and reinvent himself. We actually, and he had started to do that a little bit more in terms of the way that he plays. But this narrative about the physical part of Cristiano breaking down much quicker than uh, than a Messi in the way that he plays. Do you think that that plays out ultimately? It's tricky because Ronaldo's style is more physically taxing, but he's a, a physical freak that right. I almost think Messi is the one that might break down sooner if he plays too many games and start having start having injuries and such. And the, I mean, the pressure it's it's obvious even from the outside that as you mentioned i mean i made light of it but the reality is that the pressure that messi i think feels i mean what's this like the third time he's retired or, or <laughs> taking a sabbatical and stuff like that? the the uh, for the for the it's not Messi's fault. It's the talent around them crowd. This Venezuela game helped your argument because he played well. He played some beautiful passes and guys just didn't finish his plays. But I read today in the Madrid newspaper market where they're always looking to have a go at him. This guy wrote a scathing column where he said, "Wait a minute. When he when he does great, it's him. And then when he struggles, we always blame it on the teammates. Right. And and you know he gets a little bit too much of a pass in these situations. I mean, do you, do you think there's something? Well, to I that mean, or? you if. It doesn't matter who you are, what team. If you have a Messi on your team or if you have a Cristiano Ronaldo on their team, if I ever were in a, were in a moment where we were picking sides and I had one of those guys on my team, the human reaction uh, and completely understandable reaction is to defer. Yeah, here, you take the ball because you're Messi or you're a Cristiano Ronaldo. And at times that works and at times that can be the right play to do. But we, just in all types of sports, sometimes, and we, we hear commentators talk about it all the time and analysts talk about it all the time. Why is this person deferring? Why are they always deferring to him? Well, they're deferring because of what they have done uh, and the body of work that they have. But when that person is taken off the field and you can't defer anymore, the onus is on you, either individually or it's spread out amongst, amongst the team in a very different way, then you achieve something that we all know is important in sports, which is balance. And maybe going forward, that's the key to either Argentina finally getting back to the top and winning a World Cup, although the irony is the last time that they won it, it was all on the shoulders of one person. Or from a Portugal perspective, it's moving forward and, and balancing it out and having that wealth spread within the team. Now, we look at it in terms of World Cups. If you're looking for a chance for those guys to win trophies and enhance their legend before then, uh, Ronaldo's got one coming up. Portugal are in the semifinals of the UEFA Nations League, which the semifinals and final do occur in Portugal. They face Switzerland in the semis, and then if they win, it would be England or the Netherlands in the final. That would be pretty neat for him, say, if it's England beating England in the final in his home country. And then he's obviously got Euro 2020, which, like I said, he's already won the last Euro. Messi's got two Copa Americas coming up, which would be neat to win. This summer in Brazil at the home of your rival nation. And then 2020, Argentina's going to co-host a Copa America with Colombia. I'm not sure where the final is going to be, but if it was in Argentina, that could almost be his exit strategy there. If I win that, hey, it's not a World Cup, but it's something and I can go out, quote unquote, on top. And, you know, I personally, by the way, I think either you think Messi not winning a World Cup is an issue or you don't. I don't see the Copa America as some legacy altering thing. I'm sorry. I mean, I know I'm South American, no, but that, that's yeah, that's elevating the Copa America to a level of prestige and importance that I don't think it warrants. So it'd be nice to him to win a Copa America. It wouldn't make me think like 
drastically differently about his international career or his place in history overall. But it would be something. Maybe he wins that at home 2020. He says, you know what? I want something. See you later. Good luck in 2022. Like, I mean, I don't want a World Cup. <laughs> I mean, that's that's it's always been the case and that's always been the, the argument. But to, to finish this off here and, and I'll ask you this question. Do you think and this is the most important question. Do you think his heart is in it for Messi, for Argentina or for Cristiano for Portugal? And, and, the, and the Cristiano part I know is a little diff, diff, different because he is driven by numbers and history and stuff like that, even if it's a, a selfish reason your heart's still in it and I, I look at cristiano who i believe his heart is still in it for, for many different reasons but i don't see that when it comes to Messi. absolutely I, like i said i think it's a relatively stress-free endeavor to play for portugal okay. for ronaldo and he enjoys it still Messi does not they've got an uh, interim coach now scaloni was basically like dave, they're dave sarikin and they can't find anybody else to give the job to so this guy might end up coaching them in the copa america and they're so dysfunctional right now that he looks around and says i don't need it. he picked up an injury in this friendly that you know he's back in barcelona now rehabbing so it's like oh, man why do i need this <laughs> right. how dare you disparage uh, dave sarikin like that i mean that's 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 unacceptable you talk about someone whose heart is in it well dave is dave is one who knows if messi or ronaldo if their heart's in it we're going to find out uh, if their bodies are in it going forward in all these tournaments and anything else mossy nope all right moving on ask alexi all right, it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi uh, over there on uh, social media, and uh, Mossy will uh, read off some different questions, comments, concerns, as he is about to do right now. What do the people want to know this week, Mossy? First up, at Lizzie Matthew, why can't the United States generate a world-class striker? Do you think it could be Tim Weah? Okay, no, it's not Tim Weah. Sorry, Tim. First off, I guess you know what your definition of a world-class striker is important. I think. Why has the United States not generated somebody that has consistently scored for club? And when I say club, at a recognized elite type of super club out there, so much so that their nationality has become secondary and that they are just a recognized, consistent goal scorer. I think that's what you're, you're defining it. And obviously, from a country perspective. Number one, and I, I say this all the time, we could very well have created them. Uh, and they have fallen by the wayside for whatever reason, um, location, location, location. Uh, the, the pathway and the opportunities for a young American soccer player, or in this case, if we're talking about a young American goal scorer, a goal scorer are very, very different. And the ability to rise above and to be seen is much more difficult. If Kylian Mbappe, had been born in, I don't know, Des Moines or something like that. Obviously, he's still born with the same mind uh, and the same body, but obviously born with very, very different opportunities into a very, very different culture. So, you know, all of those things contribute, you know, and so that pathway that Mbappe has is very, very different uh, than somebody coming out of Des Moines has. So I think that, you know, this is... This is all about time, and therefore it requires patience, something that oftentimes we, we do not have. And so this is about people taking chances. And so, you know, when, and I know he's not American, but when uh, Alfonso Davies uh, gets opportunities like that, you got to take advantage of those. I think that there is a perception of American players in general that while they work hard, and they are incredibly coachable 
and they can be very, very important components, that scoring goals is an art and a skill that is so nuanced and so affected by culture that there is a feeling that American players can't necessarily do that. And I know it, 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 it doesn't make sense when you say that because uh, if anything in soccer, which we know is a very subjective game, if anything is not subjective, it's putting the ball in the back of the net. And you shouldn't care the background or where somebody else comes from if, as long as they are putting the ball in the back of the net. But I just think, you know, it's a, a, a cultural thing, it's a geographical thing, uh, and it's a timing thing ultimately, as to why we haven't produced what you would look at as a universally recognized goal scorer and a world-class goal scorer. Uh, next up, at Stephen Kirk, what's your prediction for number of goals a great Zlatan scores this year? <laughs> so Zlatan came in all guns blazing uh, this offseason. We know that uh, he was signed to a bargain basement fee, and boy, that was uh, a stroke of genius to a certain extent in that what, they, what the Galaxy got out of him, historic numbers. And over the offseason, we know they, they renegotiated and made him the highest played player, one of the highest played players in the league. And he started talking about how he was going to break every record and do all that kind of stuff. Started out great. The first game uh, scored a goal, right? So now he's at one goal, but he's been injured over the last couple of games. And that could be a, a major problem for the Los Angeles Galaxy. It also could be a major problem for this prognostication that, of scoring a, bunch of scoring a bunch of goals. Inevitably, you know, once you pay the money, the, the chances of them living up to it and them, just in general, uh, athletes, uh, that pressure, we talked earlier about the pressure, you know, they, uh, it, it's much more difficult. So you wanted a number? I don't know. I think he scores ultimately when we're all said and done 11 or 12 goals, you know, which, which isn't great compared to what I think they, they want him to do uh, and certainly what they are paying for him to do. But once again, it's concerning that he continues to miss, uh, to miss games. Never write off Zlatan. Uh, and I'm, uh, by the way, I'm not counting penalties. So if he's, if he's taking penalties, which is very possible that he does, this is all regular goals, real goals, shall we say. If uh, Zlatan only scores 11 goals this year, uh, Jovan Krovsky is going to be doing a lot of Bundesliga. Next year. <laughs> uh, so you think you take the over then? You, you, uh, I would. You believe more. Well, give, give me your number. I put, out, I, put tw I put 12. There we go, 12 goals. He's got one. Yeah, he'll go on a tear here at some point, around 15. 15? All right, so that was the delta? The, the, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just needed to get that Yovan. Wow, all right, all right, that's fine. All right. Um, at Mo Lumpkin, thanks for the tip on American football. Good flick. That's the uh, documentary. The documentary, yep. Fans 2014. Yep, yep. And then Mo asks, what's your Mount Rushmore of sports movies? Victory, dot, 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 and what else? Victory is the right. uh, Sly Stallone Pele soccer yes. movie. Yes. Uh, so uh, let's see. So it would be Victory. It was one of the first sports movies that I watched. Obviously, it was the only soccer movie that I'd ever seen, and the um, you know the the added French and Nazi element and, and concentration camp and all that kind of stuff made it one that was seared into my brain at an early age. Uh, so that's definitely it. Let's see. Um, Slapshot, hockey movie, classic, wonderful, would never be made today. Bad News Bears, uh, another 
classic that you know fundamentally changed the way I see things, introduced me to stuff, um, was wonderful. And then uh, a fourth one, maybe not so well known, Breaking Away uh, is a it's a bicycle movie, and it uh, it was so well done, low budget. Long live the Cutters, based out of uh, you know Indiana, and uh, this this kid who's infatuated with uh, cycling and and Italian racers and all that kind of stuff. So I recommend all of those. Do you have some? Let me give you give me yours. Uh, There's so many we're leaving on the table here, yeah. and I know so everybody's got theirs. Send we, us your yours uh, with uh, with our hashtag. Use the hashtag Ask Alexi, even though it's not a question. But send us your uh, your top. Make four sure it's too. the soccer Ask Alexi. Exactly. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. that. That's <laughs> um, but uh, I think the Rocky franchise has to be incorporated in yeah. some way. So pick whatever you think the best one is. There, I'm I'm partial to three Clubber Lang, uh, but I know a lot of people love four Drago. Whatever you think is the best, I think has to be on there. Uh, oh, you just pulled out the Rocky and you went with three and four? Yeah, it's interesting because the, the Rocky uh, franchise underwent an interesting evolution. The the first two, like the first one won Oscars. Like right. It's, it's slower. It, it doesn't. It has an age grade, but like it, it's from an artistic level. Those are considered better movies. Three and four are considered more fun. They were sort of commercial fare and people got a kick out of those characters and Thunderlips and all that. But you... you so you, you think I'm being a little elitist and a little no, no, snobby by picking one No, no, uh, no, no okay. Let, let's take the th- first two. But you, yeah, you're, it's not even a question. Not even a question. Not even a question. Okay. So, okay. Rocky, Rocky has to be in there hoosiers uh i love yeah my favorite basketball movie uh the natural is my favorite baseball movie although an underrated one that's up there is a league of their own i love that movie but but the natural roy hobbs i i I want somebody to describe me as uh the best podcast host they ever work with and the best goddamn writer they ever saw um So that's it, right? It'd be victory, Rocky. Well, if I'm going with victory is having to be one of them. Well, you don't have to. You might not have liked victory. That's okay. Uh, yeah, it's so, tough. I'll tell you, I wouldn't put him in Mount Rushmore, but a sports movie that came out recently I love was the Ron Howard uh, Rush with uh, Nicky Lauda, James Hunt, oh, yeah. the car racing yep, yep. movie. Uh, so, yeah. I don't think uh, we're including documentary type of stuff. No, here. no, no. That's a whole talking, other. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and when it comes to these baseball movies, while they're wonderful and I loved them, you mentioned The Natural, League of Their Own, Major League, you know, uh, all the. Uh, what was the one with Kevin Costner? Uh, uh, well, there's two Field of Dreams huh? and. Uh, well, Field of Dreams and. Bull then, Durham. Uh, the Rookie, Bull Durham, all Bull those. Durham, I mean, Jesus. Yeah. So there's so many. But I like them, and yet I, I don't think that a sports movie, you should like the movie better than you like the sport. So all the other ones. And, but I'm picking Bad News Bears. I, but I knew you'd pick Slapshot because you're a big hockey yeah, guy. Yeah, so that, that hit the spot fan, for you. But, like, I. Actually, it's good. I guess it's good if you can make me enjoy a movie about a sport that I could care less about or don't like. So I guess that's the ultimate mark. So you're not a big baseball guy. No, I could care less Uh, about baseball. Are you a fan of Major League? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the the baseball stuff was only cool when, you know, they're talking at the mound or whatever and all that kind of stuff. But it was just good writing and it was good acting, ultimately. It's not because I cared about the baseball stuff. Everybody, by the way, knows about Major League 1 and 2. There's an awful third one they made with, like, Scott Bakula that it's like, you know, it's like, Two oh, o'clock in the, the morning, cable was, fare. Uh, but it's, it was really good. I mean, because there's 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 soccer movies, and you know, I'll, I'll put a plug out there for kicking and screening the uh, the film festival that goes on, because they 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 cultivate all sorts of soccer movies out there. But what was the one? Uh, Damn United. That was good, right? Is that what it's called? Damn United or whatever uh, about the. Wasn't that it? You guys don't even know? Oh my gosh. All right, whatever. That sounds right. You should that, check that it out. It's really, really good. How, how have you not seen this? I know. Wow. Oh my goodness. All right. 
you have to check that out. But send us yours. Send us yours. Whether they're soccer or sports, it really doesn't uh, really doesn't matter. But yeah, victory. I remember. I remember. I remember where I was when I saw victory for the first time, and you know, once again, the whole soccer part of it, and uh, you know, Pele juggling and, and Michael Caine and all that kind of stuff. So it's still for me a, a classic uh, of a movie. All right, so thank you very much for your questions. Please use that hashtag AskAlexi. And as Mossy mentioned, uh, we were, uh, you know, somebody came in and co-opted the hashtag AskAlexi thing uh, this past week on, on Twitter. Evidently, there was a, a young person whose name is Alexi that writes in Hollywood. And so somebody over there uh, at a website that shall not be named or anything like that used it. So if you're seeing some weird Ask Alexi things on the feed or anything like that, it's, be it's because of that. But you know, we'll end it out. We are, you know, we are benevolent here. We will allow people to steal our content or our content generator, um, even when they're very, you know, high-profile people in Hollywood. But definitely use that hashtag, AskAlexi, ask uh, when you're writing your questions, comments, and concerns. And who knows, maybe in the future, Mossy will read one of yours. All right, anything else, Mossy? Nope. All right, moving on. The Back Three. All right, Mossy, time for our Back Three, some big stories or games or moments from the uh, world of soccer out there. What do we have in our Back Three this week? All right, back to the international action. Uh, Mexico uh, kicked off the Tata Martino era with a 3-1 friendly win over Chile in San Diego. Uh, a few things to throw at you about this uh, ball game. Raul Jimenez started up front. Uh, he's having a great season with Wolves on loan from Benfica. It looks like they're going to buy him permanently for a big fee. And Chicharito was on the bench. <gasps> I know you've never been a big Chicharito fan, so you probably don't think it's that big a deal that they're moving on from him. His last couple of years have been terrible, and it, it, it is time to move on. King right? is dead. Long live the king. Uh <laughs> No, I mean, look, I think Chicharito, it's really fascinating Chicharito's pathway that he, has, uh, that he has taken. I mean, he was, people sometimes forget the king, speaking of kings, the king of Germany and, and, and Bundesliga. And, you know, grass is always greener and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I think there is, uh, inevitably there's going to be a changing of, uh, of the guard and Tata's going to come in and, it doesn't mean that Chicharito can't be important. I, I just always, when I watched Chicharito play, I always tried to picture myself, and he seemed predictable to me. Now, he was predictable, but he was also very efficient and was very, very good. But he never scared me in the way that there would be things that he would do that I wouldn't predict, you know, in a in a El Matador, Luis Hernandez type of way or something, uh, something like that, or a Borghetti type of thing who, you know, there was always something else there. And, I th and so maybe he was just, he didn't have enough dimensions to his game. And it doesn't mean, like I said, that he can't, you know, still feature under Tata, but I think they're moving. Yeah, I've watched an inordinate amount of West Ham this Why? season because they have this Brazilian player, Felipe uh, Anderson, I like. And I found myself thinking, boy, how are we ever going to explain to future generations that Chicharito was ever a thing? I mean, <laughs> this guy, as a kid, started a Champions League final for Manchester United against Barcelona. And you watch him now, and from a technical standpoint, he makes people in Zaghi look like Ronaldinho. It, it's amazing how limited he is. But uh, So I, I'm with you. I'm not a big fan as well, and I think they should move on from him. A uh, few other things. Uh, there were two notable omissions from this squad, uh, Jesus Corona and Carlos Vela. Let me do Corona first. The story there is he has an injury and he couldn't have played in these games anyway, but Tata Martino wanted him to come and be part of the group and he said, no. Culture I'm building. Gonna, I'm going to rehab my injury with Porto. He's looking to get ready for the Champions League quarterfinals sure. against Liverpool and Tata was pretty salty about it and people think it might undermine Corona's chance of getting called up moving forward. I mean, is, is Tata being silly there? Do you think there's any value in a guy that's injured showing up and being part of the group? And 
Well, it's it's a new coach. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, in the same way that Greg Berhalter was adamant about having players that featured in the January camp to try to bridge the the gap, if you will, as this this continued uh, culture building happens, Tata Martino wants to do the exact same thing. But this is this is nothing new. This is a story as old as the game, where you put players in a situation where they have to pick and choose, and it's it's. It's not about being fair or not, because it's it is unfair. But it's just the reality of the, the situation is, you know, you got a guy in one year saying, "Hey, you really don't need to do that," and this is where you make your money, and you're really, really important to us. And you're thinking yeah, that's absolutely right. And then on the other side, you have, well, first off, your patriotic duty. We've talked about that, but also a, a new coach saying, "Hey, I really need you. You need to understand what we're doing here. And if you want to be here, you know, either get on the bus or the bus is going to leave without you, and it's difficult." The other thing, Carlos Vela was not in this squad, and Tata has come out and said, "This was my decision." Yeah, 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 uh, you know, I don't think that's a problem. Well, you know, some people think that he's covering up for Vela, who's oh, really? been flaky about playing for Mexico in the past, and people think maybe he's wishy-washy right now. But Tata Martino didn't want to admit that because he would get hammered by the local Vela would get hammered by the local press. It's interesting because less time with Mexico means more time with LAFC. But do you, uh, you know, Vela's arguably the best player in MLS right now. Would you like to see the best player in MLS off playing for Mexico? Or do you prefer to have more time with his MLS team? How do you read that situation? I think we are still at a time where the cachet of having your players, um, both in terms of how you are looked at domestically and, and locally for, by your fan base, even the people that are paying money to see him play, it still overrides the play of the uh, of your club and Carlos Vela in particular because it's the Mexican national team because he is so high profile I mean Tata will have looked at this summer and recognized that this is a guy that this summer was one if not the best player for the Mexican national team and recognize that this is somebody that can help you you talk about form we've talked about it all the all podcast on what your form is and whether it is fallacy or something like that but certainly right now the way that he is playing it's not a physical thing it's certainly not an efficiency perspective because he's scoring goals he's assisting he's playing very very well I, I tend to think that this was, and you know, all these negotiations happen behind the scenes between GMs, technical directors, whatever you want to call them, and coaches, and people are calling, and there's this this bargaining back and forth. So it's no surprise when a player comes out exactly at the 60th minute. It's no surprise when a player comes in for the two games and then leaves after a first game. All of those things are negotiated between the clubs, and you really have to, you have to be good. You have to be a good negotiator, and this is where Ernie Stewart's job is very, very important, to make sure you have those relationships, that you're fostering those relationships, that they're positive, where you are at times saying, you know what, I'm going to you know, lose the, uh, you know, this because I, I see a long-term benefit from doing that, and I'm going to you know, keep my powder dry for, for later on. That happens with all the national teams. But I think in this particular case, I don't think he's protecting him. I think that he sees him as a, a, an important cog going forward. Uh, Irving Lozano scored in this friendly. He, he keeps just getting better and better. He's clearly Mexico's best player right now. Where do you uh, think he's headed? What do you, what, what do you think is going to happen with could him? Could be a big club. He's that good. Like he's, how big? Like Barcelona, Real Madrid good. Yeah, no, he's, uh, now let me ask you a big picture question. Uh, we know Greg Berhalter is off to a good start, but there's still a lot of people that wanted the U.S. to have hired Tata Martino. Mm -hmm. Mexico is a team we all keep tabs on anyway because it's the U.S.'s chief rival. But is there even an extra layer of like keeping an eye on what Tata is doing there and wondering what could have been? I mean, is that, do you think about that at all? Or have you totally moved on from that whole I coaching? Don't, I don't wonder what could have been because I don't think necessarily that it would have been the, the right hire. And I have... You know, I, it didn't bother me that 
the U.S. Soccer Federation didn't hire Tata Martino and did hire Greg Berhalter the way it did others. And it's not because he's, he's not good, but I think it's just fun to see a guy that we've followed over the last couple of years in and out and had incredible success with Atlanta now take this job with our major rival and be the architect possibly of our demise going forward. And I think that's always in the back of everybody's mind, which is why I, I'm fascinated to see what happens with uh, this Mexico team under Tata. Next up for Mexico, they play Paraguay, which would have been against Juan Carlos Osorio, but he walked away from that job. Uh, actually, it's still a cool coaching matchup because they hired this guy, Eduardo. Berizzo, who both Berizzo and Tata are Marcelo Bielsa disciples. They were teammates with. <laughs> Who's Newell's not a old disciple boy. from Bielsa? <laughs> Evidently, everybody is. So that's even if you, you there's, I, there's coaches out there that I'm convinced have not even met Bielsa <laughs> and are still his disciples. <laughs> Uh, All right, right, what else? So let's uh, hop over to Europe because uh, Euro, as we talked about in the Mossy Mexico, Euro 2020 qualifying is off and running. Listen, I know I sound like a broken record on this, but it's England's world and we're all just living in it. Uh, I'm just so impressed with what they're doing right now. They hammered the Czech Republic 5-0. Raheem Sterling with a hat trick. Jaden Sancho was unbelievable. That front three of Sancho, Sterling, and Kane. And then you've got Dele Alli in the midfield. Uh, Declan Rice came on, made his England debut after that controversial decision to switch allegiances from Ireland. Even Alex Dowd's boy Callum Hudson-Odoi got on the field. So much young talent uh, and, and playing really well. I mean, everybody else struggles to get their best players to play as well for the national team as they do for their clubs. With England, it just seems like it's seamless right now. Raheem Sterling is in great form for Man City, and that carries over. Sancho plays with the same confidence for England that he plays for Dortmund. So, I mean, I'm just blown away with what it's they're great. doing right now. I mean, did you see that Kane assist on the first goal? The way he, I mean, he's doing stuff that, I mean, it's because we think of him obviously as a goal scorer and stuff like that, but it's it is something to behold, which means they're definitely not winning anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I love Rashford, and I think his best position is as a center forward. And over the next two three years, if he blossoms into the star, I think he's going to blossom into. Rashford versus Kane is going to be an interesting Ooh. thing. To, now, talk about a good problem to have. Right, exactly. Nevertheless, I'm not, I'm not uh, crying for uh, for England. Uh, well, we'll see if they are able to uh, parlay it, like parlay it, like we say, into right. uh, bringing it home, coming home. My man Roy Smith, who you know, writes for the New York yes. Times. This week, he finally waded into the whole young English players going to Germany. And he posited that the fact that Bundesliga clubs are now looking to England for young talent uh, reflects the fact that the German pipeline has dried up a bit and that it's occurring at a bad time when Germany are looking to rebuild right now. So Germany, we should talk about them. So they, in the last few days, they drew Serbia 1-1, mm-hmm. but then had a nice win 3-2 away to the Netherlands and Amsterdam. A lot of young players on the field from Timo Werner to Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, Kai Havertz, Leon Goretzka, Julian Brandt, Joshua Kimmich. So th- their rebuilding plan is very much underway. We cover the Bundesliga every week. Do you see enough German talent for them to be able to do this and not miss, miss a beat and still be very good? Or do you think there's going to be a dip if they focus only on young players now? I don't. I don't think though. I think there's a dip relative to the World Cup winning heights. Absolutely, but I also think, and in, look, I'm not comparing Germany to the U.S., but I think that there is a licking of the chops from this young contingent, and even new contingents, because not all you know, you know, babes, but they're all younger, and they all they all have not had that taste, which ultimately we've seen, got most of that generation fat and bit them in the ass, ultimately. So I, I think I'm, I'm not, is this a, a total reboot again? No, but I think that there is a recognition that this, you know, this, this wonderful generation 
spawned a lot of talent and trying to use that talent going forward is going to be how they're going to get back to the heights. But there's an, I think there is an, op an opportunity and a recognized opportunity from a lot of these players that you just mentioned that, hey, this is our time now. And we can, you know, while respect the past, we can also, to a certain extent, push it behind us. And in that compare and contrast, come off looking a whole lot better. We never talked about this in the pod. What did you make of Yogi Love's decision to not only not call up Thomas Muller, Jerome Boateng, and Matt Summers, but to publicly announce that they will never be called up again? It's so German. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no problem with that. I think it's... I don't, I don't, we might look at it as disrespectful and maybe it, it is. I mean, you know, we heard Mueller come out and he was not happy about it. And in a certain way, maybe Yogi Lowe has, has fueled the fire for a, a Bayern Munich uh, title race and ultimately a, a title win. But I don't think, I don't think they're going to be involved going forward. We shan't hear from them again. And the next one that should go is Neuer because Ter Stegen, I think right now is clearly better and should be starting for them in goal. We'll end on this. MLS looking ahead to this upcoming weekend, some really good games. Uh, Cincinnati hosts the Philadelphia Union. Uh, Rooney and DC United face Orlando. That's the FS1 game that you'll be covering in Orlando. I will be down right? in Orlando. Yep, it's going to be fun. The Galaxy against the Timbers. So take it away. What are you looking forward to this week? Well, first off, the game that I'm covering, uh, uh, Orlando City getting a huge win this week in New York against the Red Bulls. And, you know, this is an Orlando team that has made a habit um, and been very, very good at being not very good. And uh, the futility continued over the years. And so this is a huge win. Can they come back and parlay it in, into something against the DC United team, speaking of parlaying, that took that second half of last season and has just continued on? They have yet to even concede a goal. Wayne Rooney, hat trick, all this kind of stuff. So it's they, they are a flying team right now when it comes to DC United. So I'm really excited to go down to Orlando and see if this Orlando team is emboldened and to the extent that they are, are they able to keep up with a flying DC United led by Wayne Rooney and Ariola and these, uh, these types of uh, players that are just really, really fun to watch. So that's, that's going to be fun. I think, you know, the, the, the continued surprise of FC Cincinnati, they went into uh, our friend Brad Friedel's den over there in New England and just grabbed three points and said no. And they did it in a way that I didn't agree with Brad Friedel, actually. He, he, he seemed to see the game as um, Cincinnati not wanting to play and being ugly. No, I thought that they were, I thought they wanted to play. I thought they did play. I thought they played better than New England. I think that was completely deserved the three points. And they continue to turn our heads, um, and rightfully so, in the way that they are playing, the excitement that they are generating uh, with an entertaining and ultimately successful brand uh, of soccer. And so they continue to be the early season surprise uh, going forward. Uh, Columbus Crew uh, hosting Atlanta United. Well, the Atlanta United story also is going to to continue to uh, percolate under Frank DeBoer and the poor start to the season that they have had and can they turn it around and was this the right hire? Uh, we just talked earlier about Tata Martino and you know his his shadow. It's, he's casting a very long shadow right now and can they turn it around uh, against, uh, against the Columbus crew? And then the Galaxy, we talked about Zlatan. If he's involved, he's got to score in order to get to his 15-goal limit for uh, Mossy and my 12-goal uh, prediction. But he's got to continue to score, and in order to do that, he actually has to be on the field. And the Timbers are, are struggling right now, so they are ripe for the picking from a Galaxy perspective. Anything else there, Mossy? 
That is it. All right, that is it. As uh, those of you that listen to the pod, and if you're just starting, welcome. Uh, thank you for listening. But for those of you that do listen on a consistent basis, you know that last week uh, I was on the road. I will be on the road again next week, but I will be checking in from whatever hotel it is. I haven't even looked at the schedule. Uh, so we will continue to bring this, uh, this to you. I was on the road last week. I was doing some uh, promotion for this summer with uh, the Women's World Cup. And I was once again incredibly blessed and privileged to be working alongside the likes of Allie Wagner, who is going to be our lead uh, color commentator over there, and Danielle Slayton, who's also going to be over there color commentating. And I had just another opportunity to sit down with these incredible women and to see them talk about not just the women's game, but to see them talk about the game. And this is where my one big thing from today's uh, podcast, and I know we started out the, uh, the podcast talking about the uh, U.S. men's national team under Greg Berhalter. But, you know, we're, I don't know how many days away I should know that right now. We're days away from, uh, and a couple months away from the Women's World Cup. And I, as I've said before, I get the privilege and the honor of uh, working with an incredible group uh, of talented um, and smart and funny uh, folks out there. And I am absolutely in the minority, both because I'm a male, but also because I'm not talented, smart, uh, or ever really funny. And so I get to hang out with uh, all these incredible women. I get to see them act and interact in the context of the promotion for the World Cup this summer. And my respect that I had going in just continues to be more and more because they are, they are talking not just about women's soccer, but they are talking about soccer. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes they're talking about it in a way that not just you know, comes to the level of people that I consistently work with and certainly males that I consistently work with, but it surpasses them. And so sitting and having drinks with you know, someone like Ali Wagner, and Danielle Slayton and arguing the ins and outs of the game of soccer, whether it pertains to the women's game or not, is one of the highlights of my career and highlights of my life. And I'm looking so forward to working with them and so many others. We announced our whole talent roster, if you will, for this summer. And I'm not going to go through go through all of them, but it's packed. It's packed with incredibly talented and capable uh, voices and personalities that are going to bring you the Women's World Cup this summer, the people that you hear, the people that you see from a studio perspective. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It was all brought home this week in terms of the promotion as we get ready because this is going to be fun and this is going to be something that I think the U.S. is going to gravitate to as they often do when the red, white, and blue is involved. And it's going to be part of this summer of soccer. Uh, and now that we have the final field with the Gold Cup, which is also going to be on Fox, I'm really, really looking forward to a wonderful few months of this summer, both when it comes to the actual broadcasting of the Women's World Cup, the people that I get to work with, that we all get to work with, and then also the Gold Cup that continues on. So it was a real fun time in, uh, in New York City doing all of that with the people that I was involved. We're going to do some more of that going forward. I get back on the road this weekend. As you said, I'll be in, uh, where to say, Orlando for some MLS, uh, and it's going to be fun. Thank you so much for tuning in on a consistent basis uh, to this podcast. Uh, we, uh, we do not take it for granted. Uh, and we appreciate each and every one of you uh, that you spend an hour or so uh, with us each week, or maybe less if you have it on the... Uh, do you ever listen to podcasts, Mossy, on the, uh, um, where you speed it up one and a half times? 
You ever do that? No. No? It's, it's a much more efficient way sometimes of getting the information that you need, um, but your voice gets clicked up a notch. Like, so. uh, Billy Joel's uh, Cold Spring Harvest? Yes, there you go, exactly. It was, it was uh, notoriously uh, sped up to a Mickey Mouse-ish type of uh, um, timber for, uh, for Billy Joel. He was not happy about that. But you can do that. I don't care how you listen to it. As long as you're downloading it and listening to it, uh, we thank you for that. All right, we will have another episode next week. Like I said, I'll be on the road, but it'll be coming from uh, wherever I am. And uh, we will see you then. Anything else, Moss, before we go? Nope. All right. Size the day. <laughs> <laughs>